I hope that's loud enough. I can hear it then. Good. Um, today we're doing James chapter 1, verses 13 to the end. Now we started last week uh, in James and Daryl um, mentioned that part of that verse was, who do you turn to in trial? Where do you turn when things get tough? He also pointed out what seems like a contradiction. We've just done Galatians, which is talking about grace. And here we are at James, where a lot of us are talking about doing stuff. Which one's right? How do we reconcile that, that, um, that question? I'd suggest to you there's a verse in today's section which answers that question. And when we're faced with trials, do we persevere? Is our mindset that we will keep putting our foot one in front of the other through these trials? Or are we influenced by a culture which says, oh, it's got hard, I'll just give up? Because that's not what James is saying in his too. So that's where Daryl finished up last time. So we'll start off with verse 13. I'll just read the passage first, and then I'll speak to it. So verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be the kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. But prove yourself doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit, an or to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So it starts off by saying, who owns our sin? Now, because we're all good Christians here, probably you won't hear many of us saying out loud, God caused this to happen to me. God did this to me. But I wonder how often we think that. We might not say it out loud because we know it's wrong, but how often do we say, God, what did you do? Why am I like this? What's going on? James says, God doesn't do that. When we sin, it comes from within us. When we are enticed by our own lust, our own desires for things, and we follow that. So I'm thinking about this, uh, and so. For those of you who don't know, I, I was 47 when I got married, 
It's a long time to be single in the Christian world. People look at you as though you're strange. They uh, certainly don't promote you to things like eldership because you're not married. There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, in one, one of my single friends, he got married. He said, all of a sudden, all these people who didn't want to know me last week, they're now inviting me to dinner. He says, I don't recall changing. I just got married. I mean, he was still as crazy as he was before he got married. But suddenly he was respectable. <laughs> so they asked him over. Now, during the, well, the many years that I was single, the temptations to make that desire come true under my own steam. Was I willing to wait for God? Now, I know someone who found their partner in a club and they're very happy they've been together. But it's not an ideal environment for a Christian to find another Christian person. It is an ideal environment to go and hook up with someone who, else, who is also feeling lonely. And for myself... I chose never to go there as best I could because I knew I know that I'm weak. All I needed was someone who was attractive and who was sympathetic and I would be I'd be gone. <laughs> and I would rationalise the fact that they weren't a Christian. Oh, they'll become a Christian maybe later. And I'll be okay. God, that's that's how God's gonna solve my problem. Or do I wait? Um, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited some more. Um, now, I also don't want to say God's got a definite plan that you're going to get married either. <laughs> but he provided a wife for me that's ideal. Much better than all the options I had before that. Probably the only person who could put up with me. <laughs> but I had to wait. But it would have been easy to go for that desire. Now, the desires that tempt us aren't necessarily wrong. If we look at Abraham and Sarah, God gave them a promise. I will give you an heir. And they waited. And they waited. And they said, well, God, I don't know what you're doing, but we've waited a while. It's not going to happen. Sarah's 99 years old. It's not happening. We can fix this, God. It's okay. You were a bit asleep. We'll, we'll correct it. Because they wanted God's promise. Not a wrong desire to want God's promise. But to fulfill it in their own power. To fulfill it by means, by their society, were perfectly legitimate. It wasn't even a, a, th a wrong thing that they did by their society standards. But it wasn't following God. They're enticed by their own desire and they sinned against what God wanted because they weren't willing to wait. We will do that ourselves. We will tempt ourselves. It's not wrong to desire something that's good. It's wrong to dwell on it too much and say, God, where, is, where am I getting it? And there's many ways we can avoid that. Um, I've found, I found, I ride motorbikes or I used to ride motorbikes. The thing I never bought was a motorcycle magazine, ever. Because I'm terrible. Because I, I have a really real, a reasonably well-paid job, I have money I can spend. Buying things like motorcycle magazines, they tell me about all the new bikes. Ooh, they're shiny. And they go faster than the one I've got now. And they're bigger and they're more trendy. And that would have kept, eventually I would have bought a new bike. Not because I needed one. Not because there wasn't better things to do with my money, but because, ooh, that's really nice. I, I deserve that. Because we are ultimately selfish beings. We want to look after ourselves. We deserve things like that. I don't know what it is for you. It's probably not motorbikes. It, it could be computers. Oh no, that's me too. Um, I don't know what it is that leads you astray, but reflect on it. Is it what God wants? Is it appropriate? We live in a society that says, if you want it, you should have it. We're all relatively rich, and we can usually buy it. It doesn't mean to say it's right. It doesn't mean to say just because society accepts it that it's right. 
We need to reflect on God's words and say, what do you want for us, God? Is it right that we fill our house with material things and we don't have time for all this other stuff? Is it right that I work two jobs just so I can get all this stuff? Or maybe I don't need to work two jobs. Maybe I should be satisfied with what you've given me and have more time to be available for your work. But we will be enticed by our own desires. We need to reflect on things when we want them. Why do we want it? Is it going to benefit the kingdom? Is it going to benefit our spirituality? Or is it just nice to have? And sometimes it's okay to have nice things to have. But if you just keep getting nice things, keep getting nice things, it's probably leading down the wrong path. When we dwell on it, don't dwell on it. Think about it, fine. But don't sit there, don't get a magazine that explains the benefits of this new thing. (laughs) Be careful. And our society is geared to push all this stuff to you. It pushes it to you with advertising. Through the TV. Through the internet. They're trying to tell you you're not sufficient without all this stuff. And it'll lead us down the wrong path. And if God's made promises to you, be wary of trying to fulfil them under your own strength. As some of you know, I got involved with a cult many years ago. They were busy fulfilling God's promise to bring people to Christ under their own strength. They were quite happy to use mild brainwashing techniques to get you to make a commitment. And their motives were great. They wanted to save people. But you don't save people by tricking them. You don't save people by lying to them about what it means to be a Christian. You don't save people by saying, yeah, me a Christian, all your problems will go away. I'm not sure you, what your experience is as a Christian. Mine isn't that all my problems didn't go away. And quite often I've seen people become Christians and their problems magnify. A long-time friend of mine, she became a Christian, her husband left her. And she just said, oh, I don't understand what's going on. I said, well, I don't know. He couldn't stand the fact that she now had faith and he didn't. So he left. Her problems magnified. She suddenly became single. All all the problems of divorce and all that sort of stuff. We need to be honest. We need to be transparent when we're telling people about Christ. We need to avoid the urge to convince people. God does that. God's spirit is what convinces people to become Christians. And all of that is really a battle of our mind. It's what do we need to do to keep our minds focused on God? And he talks about that in the next section of the passage. Now, verse 18 is where we see the, the merging of grace in James. Put my eyes back on. Give me another pocket. Verse 18 says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. We are Christians not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we will do, but because God brought forth faith in us. And despite the fact that James is saying, you can see your faith by what you're doing, that's not how you got faith. It's not how you keep faith. Our faith comes from God. We need to remember that, especially when we're ministering to other people. They will become Christians because of what God does. It's not how great we sell God. It's not how great we do the arguments. It's not how much we've done for them. It's because God's spirit will move in their hearts. That's quite often why you see the most unlikely people become Christians. Because God touches them somehow. Don't understand why. We can never abandon anyone totally. And from, we can never say we've got no hope of bringing that person. There's a great book I read a long time ago called God and the Swastika. And it's about a priest who's asked to minister to the war criminals that were on Hitler's staff. It's 
quite a confronting book. He says, these guys didn't deserve to be saved. He says, what am I supposed to do? Well, in his mind, what they had done was beyond... And, he, and it's partly how he, he worked through that. In none, in none of them become, get saved, and that's not really, I guess, surprising in many ways, given their stand. And, but it's how he worked through his battles with that piece of theology, that God could save anyone, and we don't want to map like them In the second part of this passage, it says that we've got to manage our anger. James starts really plainly. Manage your anger. Because when you're angry, you probably don't bring around God's pleasure. And how do we do that? Learn to listen. Learn to try and understand where people are coming from. Rather than getting angry straight away, try and find out what motivated that behaviour. Now, a lot of the stuff in the secular world will say much everybody believes they're operating out of good motives. Al Capone believed he was operating at a good motive. However brutal he was, he was looking after his family. Looking after his family is a good motive. Perhaps his means were not actually very appropriate. But try and find out why people acted that way before we get angry. It doesn't say we should never get angry, but most of the time we get angry too quickly. Much too quickly. We don't ask, could you explain why you did that? What you did upset me. Can you explain what you were... Thinking or when you try and do that? I probably can't. Huh? I probably can't. I probably can't, okay. I'll ask Michelle what you do. Michelle, can you tell me why Adam? <laughs> we try and understand why people behave the way they do. And so basically it sums up is a shut up and listen most of the time before we get angry. And certainly that's. We want, we want a response, not a reaction. Usually when we get mad, that's our reaction. That behaviour makes me angry. Someone cuts in front of you in the traffic. When you get angry, that's a reaction. It's not a response. My response should be, I'll back off. This idiot's just going to get himself killed. I don't want to be involved in that. So a better response is, I'm going to back off rather than, I'm going to ride his tail and teach him a lesson. A, it never teaches me any lessons. And B, it's me acting in the same way as they are. So we need to put aside what isn't of God. Our habits, our possessions, our friends, our work practices. What are we willing to put aside in order to do God's will? What is it that guides the way we choose to live ourselves? Is it the way our friends think of us? Is it the way our spouse thinks of us? God wants, God, James is saying he wants us to look into the word. The word. He wants us to look into it seriously, not just superficially, and he wants us to become a doer. What's your attitude when you come and listen to someone like me talk about the Bible? Are you looking for things that the Bible is speaking to you about? Are you trying to find out what the Spirit is urging you to move towards? Or are we just here to hear someone bumble their way through and think, oh, I could do a better job than that, that's great. Or someone does a really good job. We used to have a great, in my last um, my last church, it was really tempting to just go and listen to the guy speak. He loved history. So he would bring all his history knowledge into the Bible. It was great to listen to. He was a good presenter. It was really, you didn't need to go away and do anything. Just had, it was great entertainment. Except we weren't there to be entertained. We were there to say, yes, there's all this context around the meaning and it helps you understand the meaning. What is God asking us to do from that? 
Where is he taking, well, more than point, where is he taking me? But also, where is he taking us? In the West, we're very good at the me. Where is he taking me? Where is he taking us as a body? What does he want us to be involved in? So we need to reflect on our work when we hear sermons like this. We need to reflect on our work practices. What could we do better to honour God in the way we do work? When I first started my job as a software engineer, my company was using pirate software. I had to go to my boss and say, I won't use that. Unless you buy me a real licence, I just won't use it. That, that could be what it costs. I don't know your work practices. I don't know what your boss is doing. I regularly have to tell my boss, if you put me in front of a client and he asks me a question, I won't lie for you. They don't put me in front of clients. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Um, because it's not a... Lying is appropriate it's pretty much any time. I'd have a trouble even the first aid certificate says, oh, if, you know, someone's falling apart and their, their, their partner's dead on the road and they say, how is he? You've got to say, I don't know. Well, I sort of do, but I, I, I struggle with that. Fortunately, that's not been the situation I've had to deal with. I understand why they're trying to support the person who's actually injured and alive. You don't want to tell their partner's dead because they're in enough trouble as it is. However, anyway, I'll let you manage that, that sort of a complexity. So when we hear the word, how do we become like Christ? That's what being a doer is, becoming like Christ, changing our character to be like Christ. Ouch, yes. And the first thing we have to do is manage our tongue. Big difficulty for a lot of us. Words come easy. James goes on to this further on. He's basically setting up the other things he's going to talk about. He talks about how much damage our tongue can do. Do we manage our tongue? Are you resp- do you feel responsible for everything that comes out of your mouth? Because you are. The passage, the, the, the very last verse, which is the bit that challenges me like this. True religion isn't sitting here on Sunday. True religion isn't turning up every week, listening to a sermon, saying how good it was, and doing the music or whatever. True religion is to visit widows and orphans. And who are our widows and orphans? I thought about most of the time I've spent on this passage was who are the widows and orphans that I meet? Who are the widows and orphans that God is telling me to minister to? And the widows and orphans are symbols of people who have no power. In that society, widows and orphans have no power. They probably had very little income. They probably had little hope of any sort of happiness in life. They short on food. They had no way to um, look after themselves. Seems to me James is saying we need to look after those that society has abandoned. Society abandons lots of people. Usually people who don't have money. Usually people who are really inconvenienced. Usually people who made some really poor decisions. And this is the one I was They made poor decisions. And you can see their poor decisions have led them into this all this spot. Sometimes it's difficult to say, well, why should I help them? They did this to themselves. But whenever I think that, I have to remember, God forgave me my bad decisions. God is with me in my bad decisions. I did it to myself. Why did he come down from the heaven and die on a cross for me? My decisions. And I need to reflect that. I need to be patient with people who've made bad decisions. I think when we look at the people society abandons, it can be difficult if you live in a nice, plush suburb. Um, 
it's easier, I think, in Tregear because society pushes all these people who are, who are abandoning, who doesn't, they don't want to know about. It pushes them all into the housing commission and it lumps them all together. They used to spread them out, but that got inconvenient because it spoiled the house prices of the nice areas. So they pushed them all into a little area. And so it's easier to see that. It's easier when my wife comes from the Philippines. It's easier to see the, the widows and the orphans there because when you don't have anything there, you really do stuff. Here it's a bit more difficult. I mean, we had some struggles when May first came over. We were asked to help this single mother. And May really struggled with it because this single mother had the best phone. When she got a baby bonus, she bought a big TV. And May's saying, but in the Philippines, if you don't have anything, you don't have anything. The government doesn't help you. Shit. Difficult in the decisions that are made. Why are we helping this person? This person, the government gave her money. What is she doing with it? She's buying a phone, buying a television. Difficult. Yeah. But this country does have widows and orphans. It is. Lots of people are abandoned by, by the system. The other thing about widows and orphans is they're not fixable. If you're an orphan, you're an orphan. And it's probably not fixable until you grow out of it. If you're a widow, you're probably stuck there. We often want to fix problems. And it's difficult to spend time with people who you know when you can't fix their problem. You can just journey, all you can do is journey with them. All you can do is walk through their mess with them, alongside them, as Jesus does with us. He walks alongside them. Are we willing to walk alongside people who have a really messy life? And it'll probably mess up our life, let's face it, because it'll be inconvenient. It'll be tough. We'll feel inadequate. If you can't fix their problem, you'll feel inadequate. And sometimes we've abandoned people because we don't like feeling inadequate. We don't like the feeling that oh, my prayers haven't done anything, God hasn't fixed this. Unfortunately, that's the truth we live in. God doesn't fix everything. Doesn't matter how spiritual we are, we can't force him to fix everything because the world has free choice. The people around us have a free choice. We can be an influence to people and say, there's better ways to make decisions than this. There's better ways to spend your time, better ways to spend your money. We can't force it on people. We can't force what we believe on them. We need to be available. We need to hunt them out. If we live in a nice, secluded society, we probably need to go looking for them because by habit, we're probably not looking for them. I mean, some people, they just, Richard, the Wilkinsons, these people seem to fall over them and <laughs> arrive on their doorstep. But I actually think it's because they go looking for them and they're sensitive to them. So rather than turning away, which is probably my habit when I see somebody who's inconvenient, they open their doors. And that's a great way to be. I hope to be more like that. Uh, I've just got to recognise when I'm starting to turn away. And to remain uncontaminated by the world. The world wants us to be like it. The more we're like God, the more we're like Christ, the more the world will reject us the more we will get trouble. Are you ready for trouble? Because that's what it's going to be like if we, if we, if we truly represent Christ. We'll have difficulties. That's uh, about where I am. That passage has got a lot more in there. So if, we, if you read it through it's worth reading. Um, it's probably worth listening to the podcast. Was it the podcast you're reading, Jonah? Was it a podcast you were listening to about this? Oh, no, I just had it on the audio Bible. Just James. Audio Bible, okay. <laughs> just the whole thing. It's probably worth dwelling on. Yeah. And as we go further into James, dwelling on what he's saying, the actions, what's the motivation. 
and getting our minds right. This is all about our minds. Trials, are you prepared to endure? Anger, are you prepared to... No, don't respond to this. Wait. Are you prepared to look for people who need help? It's all about our mind. It's not just about what we do. Probably the biggest mistake I made when I was young is thinking I need to be busy doing stuff. I probably need to spend more effort building my character to be like Christ. Things that I can't measure. Things that are hard to measure. It's easier to say, oh, I gave up all this money to fall or I gave all this money here. Much easier to measure. I can feel good about myself. It's hard to say, I'm less angry now. It's also more disappointing when I truly evaluate whether I'm less angry. And, nah, I'm probably not. As I get older, I'm probably getting more angry. But that's more about being frustrated at not being able to be as active as what I used to be. Anyway, um, enjoy James reflecting on it over this week. And we'll be James soon next week. Thank you all.